0: And there he was this young
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Discourse on the Playlist Podcast Network, the show where we discuss film news, reviews, or any other pertinent pop culture items that we feel we need to weigh in on. I'm Ryan Oliver and today with me I have a very special guest. He is a writer for the Austin Chronicle as well as Film School Rejects. Matthew Monagle, welcome to The Discourse.
0: Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be discoursing, is that correct?
1: (laughs) Yeah, discoursing, discussing, discoursing. I I like discoursing. (laughs)
0: Discoursing, then. I'm glad to be discoursing.
1: I'm very happy to have you discoursing with me on this podcast. Uh, today, we are going to be discussing uh, two two uh, smaller releases. The When I mapped out the calendar for the summer, initially the slot was going to be dedicated to The Lion King but my editor in chief rodrigo perez saw the movie i fortunately have not yet and he said uh, it's not worth discussing talk about literally anything else so god
0: bless you rodrigo perez yes
1: seriously thank you like dodged a huge bullet here he took one for the team on that one so we are going to be discussing uh, lulu wong's the farewell as well as the art of self-defense a new black comedy from riley Stearns. but before we dive into those a little bit of housekeeping the discourse is a part of the playlist podcast network so if you enjoy this show be sure to subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice be it stitcher be it iTunes, be it Spotify, however you get your podcasts, and you'll get this show as well as our other shows, including Adjust Your Tracking, Be Real, The Fourth Wall, Indie Beat, and the various interviews that pop up on our feed from time to time. So without that out of the way, uh, I usually ask our guests uh, when they're first timers on here if there's a, a piece of media or something that they are into uh, for the week. So um, you have the floor, Matthew. Um Have you been watching anything this week that you are into?
0: Oh, have I? So uh, I was traveling um, this past weekend, which means that I kind of missed. um, No, sorry. I was traveling two weekends ago, which means I missed the opportunity to sort of see Crawl in theaters alongside everybody else and be part of the discussion, uh, which was very painful to me. But I will say that I saw this film when I got back. It's kind of been bouncing around my head for the past week for the past seven days or so and i think that when the year ends i mean i know i know you guys talked about this already on the show so we don't need to go into what it's about or you know why it's so damn good but i will say that this is probably going to end up on my end of the year list as one of my favorite films because it is it is a movie that knows its lane and it drives as fast as it reasonably can within that lane it's got a lot of really great action sequences it really is the best kind of mid-tier studio genre film since The Shallows. Um, it, it just occupies a niche that a lot of films don't. I am a huge fan of both of the stars because they were both in a movie franchise that is beloved unto me, which is the Maze Runner movies. And yeah, I don't know. I was just like after kind of this period of the spring and summer where there were giant blockbusters and everybody was sort of settling in and getting fatigue about Marvel movies and Comic-Con was on the horizon. and Everyone was like, oh my God, what are they gonna talk about at Comic-Con? Then there was just this movie about like, you know, giant lizards invading a house, trying to eat people. And I was like, this feels right. This feels like a good way to wind down my June going into July kind of time. It was perfect for me.
1: Oh, if there's no better ringing endorsement than that, um, you, uh, listeners, you can check our episode from last week, uh, for more of my thoughts on the movie, but, uh, I couldn't agree more. I I don't know personally if it would end up on my top 10 of the year, but I, I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. And, Honestly, I really want to see it again. Um, Preferably not at a ten twenty in the morning matinee, which nothing wrong with that, but uh, not the most responsive crowd in the world. So, uh, yeah, that's
0: a that's a weird time to see any horror movie. Is that is that common practice for you? Do you usually go for the ten a.m. shows?
1: Uh, I do when I have things that I have to do during the weekends. If I can avoid it, I would like to go to a later show. I usually actually, if I miss a screening, I usually try and catch that Thursday preview show that's that's usually what i try to do but um uh, i i too was traveling uh, like on that thursday friday that it came out so um i had some prior obligations so i had to catch a matinee to be able to talk about it um
0: buddy we got to get you to some of those like 11 30 is prime time like 11 30 at, at you're the most biggest multiplex where it's just going to be the weirdest crowd you could have that's the time to see a movie like crawl absolutely you see it at, at the end of the day with people that are half in the bag and just like ready to watch something like this
1: i should do that uh before it leaves theaters i will 100 percent go check it out again um as far as things that i've been watching this week uh it's been a pretty packed weekend so i really haven't had a lot of time to see the things that outside of the stuff that we're about to discuss uh but i did last night go with my wife to go see ali wong um at the paramount theater in seattle um on her tour and it was, it was just a blast. It was, it was a really great time. She's just funny as hell, fearless. Um, So yeah, that was a good time, but that's, that's about what I've been catching up with this weekend.
0: Has she added since, what is it? Always be my maybe. Um, Since that kind of caught fire for the typical Netflix window, has she added some material about that to her set?
1: She has. Yes. There were, I think two instances and they weren't prolonged or anything like that, but there were certainly two, jokes sort of based around uh shooting that film so she has added that to her set
0: did she talk about keanu no she didn't mm. um i i
1: don't want to uh it's like i don't want to ruin it because it, like i i got to assume that somewhere on this tour um she's probably recording another special i i would have to assume uh it was not the show i watched last night but uh, it it's probably will happen uh, but there's definitely a deep fake in terms where you think that's where she's going and and that's not the case. So um, that, that was kind of a bummer, but uh, the joke was ultimately worth it. Um, so, yeah, let's 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 just go ahead and dive in. Let's move on to uh, let's start with The Farewell, um, because this movie is getting a lot of acclaim. Um, it expanded to, I think, 33 theaters this last weekend um it had almost as high a per theater average as the lion king did um which is impressive and i believe when it opened in new york and la it has had i think the highest per theater average opening of the year if i'm not mistaken um but this film is directed by lulu wong and it stars aquafina i'll read the imdb plot synopsis a Chinese family discovers their grandmother has only a short while left to live and decide to keep her in the dark, scheduling a wedding to gather before she dies. Um, so I'll pass the ball to you. What uh, what what were your thoughts? How did you feel about the farewell?
0: Yeah, I think this is um, I think this is going to be unquestionably one of the great films of 2019. And I think. I think there's a lot of things that go into that. I think the performances are there with the cast, um, especially kind of whenever you see. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for comedians who take that serious role, um, kind of turn what you think you know about them on ear a little bit. And Aquafina doesn't have enough of a career to be probably labeled specifically as a comedian, but most people that know her up to this point know her for being funny, for being a supporting character and stuff like Crazy Rich Asians. So she's definitely she feels like somebody that is going to be cracking wise most of the time when you see her on screen and she isn't. Um, I think the film also deals with sort of a lot of timely issues in terms of, of family and the truths that we withhold and the way that we sort of the differences that, that we don't allow to drive us apart. Um, it seems like a timely message, not only in terms of more families, you know, living farther and farther away from each other in the world, but also, There's been a lot of pieces and stuff about current politics and and how families are sort of navigating that. So that part of it feels good as well. But I don't want to shortchange the fact that Lulu Wang's film is also beautifully shot. The Mm -hmm. music is extremely good in terms of setting kind of this emotional, you know, this gentle, melancholic tone throughout. Uh, There isn't anything about this film that isn't really good. And I do feel like that, you know, sometimes you wonder, well, this is a July release. Is this going to be on the radar Come the end of the year, are people still going to be talking about this when award season is sort of, you know, getting into full swing? I, I think this is going to be one of those movies where it, you know, it kind of runs out in front of the pack and then stays there for the majority of
1: the year. I hope that's the case. I really hope it's not the sort of um, where, where it's happened a lot in the summer where a movie like this gets a lot of acclaim and um, certainly is touted through award season. And then it gets kind of the token um, original or adapted screenplay nomination, uh, depending on whether it is original or adapted. Um, Yes. I echo pretty much everything you said. I think this is one of the best movies of the year, full stop. Like I, I won't bury the lead. I, I love this film. And I, and I thought a lot of um, like sort of right off the bat, the, the sort of the balance of comedy, drama and tragedy of this type of movie is really really difficult to do and i can't think of many films in the last you know 10 years or so that have done it this well i mean there's definitely ones that come to mind the descendants is probably one of them and uh manchester by the sea i'd say is another but um this movie is just it's what I love about it is this. Yeah, um, first of all, Aquafina is terrific in the movie, and I don't want to use that to like shortchange anybody else because the cast all around is pretty strong. But I think she's great, and I love the the concept of the being caught between two cultures, um, because her character is essentially the one who is the most on the fence about the family making the decision to not tell their their matriarch that she is ill and you know as a child she's a child of both you know eastern and western culture um and mostly western as as we've you know discovered through the movie they moved from um china to the states when they were when she was very young and so that idea of just like, why wouldn't you tell somebody? And then that, like that tension, that push and pull throughout the movie. I mean, they're, are just scenes that uh, really, really play well to that tension. Like they're funny, they're sad, they're awkward, they're uncomfortable. And, um, and to me, that's just, that's just life. That's just life and family and dealing with grief. And I was pretty impressed from that right from the get go. And, um, You know, you talk about there's not many things in this movie that aren't good. I mean, it's beautifully shot, as you mentioned, and just like the montages in this movie, too, are, are very, very beautiful, but not showy either. And I really, really appreciated that.
0: Yeah. And one thing that kind of stood out to me, um, and I talked about this a bit, a bit uh, in the review that I wrote of the film is You know, we're at a a really important kind of inflection point as an industry right now where we're going and we're saying like, okay, there are stories, there are performers, there are filmmakers um, who aren't white men who are finally getting an opportunity. You know, the kind of the doors are breaking down. People are signing, um, you know, different waivers and stuff to make sure that that there is blind casting process, that there are opportunities for people to make movies, to star in films that may not have gotten a chance before and I think what The Farewell does and what really kind of impressed me about the movie is it serves as a reminder that, you know, we should not treat any one population as kind of a, a monolithic culture or society. You know, because we have had so many conversations over the last two years, especially on the heels of something like Crazy Rich Asians, the idea that, you know, w- there needs to be better Asian-American representation in cinema, which is unquestionably true. But... The farewell kind of reminds you that that not only does that not necessarily mean any one nation it also doesn't mean one uniform experience within those nations you know the farewell is is in many ways about the diaspora about how you know um mainland chinese have over the over the decades kind of scattered and there are this particular family has members that live in the united states it has members that live in japan and each of their own experiences kind of within these self-contained you get the idea that they're you know they're still living within cultures that are kind of familiar to them but their own relationship to mainland China has changed for them as well. So this is a movie that basically serves to remind you that like, it's not enough to sort of say like, look, we have one nationality. We have Japanese characters or we have Chinese characters. It's like, no, there are, there's a world of depth and nuance. There's a world of cultural differences in those. And just because we have representation doesn't mean that we can't break that down even further and allow these characters to show to audiences that may not be able to tell the difference, what it means to be somebody who lives in China versus somebody who was born in china but moved immigrated to japan or immigrated to the united states
1: absolutely and and then breaking down those barriers further um in in term in those terms of a a certain sense like there's a specificity to this movie but a universal relatability as well which like which i find incredibly refreshing and also to to your point about like we have the you know we have opportunity, you know, starting to get opportunities for fresh voices to get there in filmmaking. And so it's like, you have different, you have these different perspectives, but there is such a universal quality to this movie that it's like, no matter who you're seeing on screen, I I think anybody can relate to that. And I think that's a a strength of the movie as well. I mean, grief is something that's universal. Um, Gentrification is another, you know, sort of side thing happening in this movie as well also universal and i think that's that's a, another strength that this movie plays too
0: yeah and there's there's definitely a sense kind of throughout the film too that the issues that they're grappling with are bigger than one movie you know we tend to watch a lot of films and it, they are for better or for worse sort of self-contained even when they end on moments of ambiguity you kind of realize that like all right these characters have had some sort of a catharsis and are able to move forward, kind of generally knowing the path that they're going to. But this film makes it very clear that there are tensions in this family about where they grew up, about where they've lived, about how they treated each other, that they could not possibly, you know, they, they could be reunited for months, even years, and they would never be able to fully resolve these issues And the film also says that Billy Aquafina's character has no clue what she's doing with her life. She got rejected for the major grant that she was going for. It ends on a really dour note for her in terms of like, she is more confused about what she wants to do than ever. But undercutting all of that is this idea of family and the fact that like the family unit is so important that they're going to be able to kind of work their way through this. And it's not worth the satisfaction of, you know, saying what's really on their mind in some cases you know, to, to take this moment that they have this rare opportunity to kind of come together, and to, to destroy that to, for the idea that like, oh, I'm just going to feel good because I'm going to tell you like your experience is worse than mine. So it, it I, one of the things I love about the script is it just it doesn't give you easy answers. It doesn't give you easy catharsis. It's a it's a movie about kind of a lives lives in the middle of a pause button. Everybody's life here has hit pause to kind of go back and spend time with Nai, Nai but there isn't anything that is going to be resolved at the end of this film that you're like, great, this character's life has been sorted. Their issues have been sorted. They're ready to go.
1: Absolutely. Not a single one. And that's the, the beauty of the movie is like every single layer gets peeled back, you know, and you find different problems with, with um, her mother and this sort of like tumultuous relationship that she's had with Nene or her father who, you know, through, you know, various like lines that are not like, directly spelled out it's like okay there's a past with you know abuse alcohol abuse and stuff like that and so like that's just that is the strength of this screenplay and and the beauty also is this movie you know without giving anything away or doing any spoilers is that it sort of i wouldn't say it zigs when you expect it to zag but it certainly is it's cathartic in a way that i you think you know where this movie's going and it doesn't go there. And I think that is fascinating um, in and of itself.
0: I will say to, to add to that though, Ryan, I'll say that there isn't a moment where you're like, Oh, I can't believe it went that way. This is a very, this is a very small and gentle movie. So I kept waiting because the premise and I won't spoil it, but the premise mm-hmm. that um, Nene is going to, you know, they have to tell her or they don't have to tell her. You kind of feel like the movie is building to this moment And right when you think that it's going to crescendo, everything sort of really downshifts and goes into kind of a quieter gear. So the movie refuses, probably again, going back to this idea of lack of catharsis, it refuses to give you those, you know, those moments of satisfaction because, well, because Wong understands families better than we do, I guess.
1: Right, exactly. And it also doesn't like, and that gives it a, a wonderful moment of tension or moments of tension as well, because you 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 wonder you, you know you wonder if someone's gonna spill the beans, and that's sort of like the push and pull like I think of the wedding sequence specifically, um where yeah, they're, right. they're yeah, they're just very, very multiple moments uh where there's just a tension felt there where y- you know you wonder what's gonna happen because you're expecting it to build to this great resolve and um you know, to the movie's credit, it uh like you said it refuses it refuses to do that, and I think it's much better. For it, Yeah, absolutely. Um, are there any other any other thoughts, any other, um, you know, specific performances you want to single out any aspect of the filmmaking that uh, we haven't covered?
0: Yeah, I think I mean, I think it's worth um, Susan sao mentioning her performances, Nene, because she's I mean, she's hasn't acted, at least in film up to this point in her career. And, you know, it's it's a it's a tough performance especially when you take kind of the historical context or or the autobiographical context into play i mean wong has made this movie you know based on her own experiences with her grandmother and kind of what it was like to to go home and navigate um for lack of a better phrase sort of this this east east meets west concept of family um and i think that sao does a really good job uh, of playing a character that you're never entirely sure throughout the film. And again, not the point. Not the point of this movie to say, like, who knows and who doesn't. But there's sort of this these moments, these emotional moments throughout the movie that you're never really sure if Nene knows really why they're there, knows why they're there and doesn't care, knows why they're there and does care. Um, so her character is is really living in this wonderful web of her family. She's got her two sons back together from you know, Japan and the United States at the same time for the first time in decades. Um, and you're never really sure if she's lying to herself or if she's the only one that really appreciates what the family is doing here. And it just makes her this this beautiful baific or buithic I can't remember how to pronounce that, but like character in the center of this film. And, and you really, you feel for her, even though you're not really sure what it is that she's feeling.
1: Absolutely, and I'm, I'm glad you, you did research, I did not know that she had not performed before in a movie. Um, I would have assumed that she'd have at least a dozen credits to her name, how sort of natural she feels as, as a grandmother. And maybe, and maybe that actually helps to the performance is that, you know, she's just sort of being herself. And I I agree from the standpoint of like, you're not sure how much she knows, like you almost, it kind of goes back to what you're saying. If you're expecting this, sort of big uh moment this big like blow up to happen mm-hmm. um the, you know there was occasional moments where I, you know you think y- you think that there's there's more known than what is led on to believe um I, I guess i could leave it at that and um but you 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 feel for that person even though they're they may not be feeling a certain thing but like you said you you still feel for him
0: yeah it's a movie where you get to spend it it doesn't feel i mean sometimes art house films get to this sort of rap where you're just like watching people react to each other and there's a lot of unspoken tension and everything is subtext this this movie feels it has a lot of that but it doesn't feel like a film that is denying us anything it's it's each character is kind of living the truth as much as they can in those moments and so it doesn't this could very easily have been a film where you're you're constantly like oh you know they want to say something but they can't and there are those moments throughout but for the most part i think the farewell is About individual characters grappling with the decision that they've already made, um, which I think makes for a much more interesting and much more complex story. And it doesn't feel like one of those movies where everybody's about to say something and then doesn't, which would have been 90 minutes of very, (laughs) very tense and insufferable filmmaking. This is much more of an internalized thing.
1: Absolutely. I'm trying to think of a good comparison, but like, I know exactly the type of film you're thinking about, like a, you know, a, not a, this is a bad comparison, but like, like a meet the parents or like that sort of thing where it's just like, uh, okay, it's just like uncomfortable for that amount of time and, and right, kind yeah. of like annoying. And, and it's certainly not that for sure. Um, I did want to shout out like a couple of other performances i think diana lynn as the as uh billy's mother jian is very very strong as well um and i cannot for the life of me remember who plays the father look at it up here uh see ma uh i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly apologized if i screw that up um but i i liked their performances as well like it, it goes back to what you said about those moments of the moments of the unsaid and those moments of turmoil that, you know, it's it's not going to be resolved, but and they slowly bubble up throughout the movie. Um, but I, I just I think that some strong side performances as well.
0: Yeah, it's one of the more believable families, like immediate families that I've seen in a film in a long time. And I think it's because of that, that balance of tension and frustration and love that you you know, It's a hard thing to articulate. It's a hard thing to describe. But when you see it in real life or on screen and it's done correctly, you recognize it. You're like, oh, yes, these three characters who did grow up in a foreign country, who did have to sort of really connect with each other and stick within each other to make it work. And out of that was a very strong bond that as Aquafina's character, Billy, has gotten older and older, she's tested more and more. Like that whole tension and love dynamic between the family, the things that they say to each other that the things they don't say to each other, all of that felt very real. It didn't feel artificial or forced at all. And that's a credit to all three of the actors, I think, to really create something where you know you get, you get a sense of who these people are almost immediately and you don't need to you know, throw back or add a bunch of backstory to be like, remember when I was a kid and I was so sad? You save those moments for when they really matter the most.
1: Absolutely. Do you have any other final thoughts uh, before we move on to our other film?
0: No, um, I will say I hope that um, I hope that the decision to kind of slowly release this movie makes the makes gives it a little bit of that extra longevity in the audience's eyes. Like you said, kind of at the start of this section, it's been doing extremely well, Um, almost tied with The Lion King on a, you know, per theater basis, which is good. So sometimes I, you know, people like us that, that spend a lot of time talking about the industry sometimes you can kind of feel if a movie made the wrong decision to go wide immediately or to do sort of the limited to wide release and you know i i'm hoping i think that this is a film that we'll continue to see roll out in the weeks to come i think hopefully it'll continue kind of its its strong box office numbers that it's had and then that will you know catapult it into award season conversation later in the year uh, definitely it's it's as we kind of, as more stuff goes, either the VOD or the wide release route, it's refreshing to see that some films can still sort of do this, this slow word of mouth thing that seems to be working so well for the farewell.
1: I I agree. And I hope it stays the same. And, you know, uh, for the rest of the summer, anyway, there's, there's, I I feel like in people's eyes, there's really only two more big titles that people seem to be excited about. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Hobbs and Shaw being those movies. And I, I think, this movie made a smart call in slow rolling out bubbling underneath those. And hopefully it will have some long play, uh, come August. Cause, um, the slate is looking, um, pretty weak for the rest of that month. So I'm hoping for the same. Um, it deserves it. So I really hope that happens. Um, so uh, talk, talk about a juxtapose of rollouts between the farewell and the other movie that we're about to <laughs> discuss. Um, But the other film we're going to discuss is The Art of Self-Defense. This is the latest film from Riley Stearns, whose debut film, Faults, got some attention. Um, I actually haven't seen Faults, admittedly.
0: Have have you seen that film, Matthew? I have not, so neither of us are at a disadvantage here. (laughs)
1: all right fair enough uh but i know that film got some attention and uh, the art of self-defense uh, has also got attention it debuted at south by southwest this last march um it is a dark comedy that stars jesse eisenberg imogen poots and alessandro nivola um it's essentially about a young man in his mid-30s who is brutally mugged in an alley um and sick of being pushed over he is enrolls in a karate class uh taught by sensei played by alessandro nivola um and it sort of spirals into this uh examination of toxic masculinity uh, which is certainly something that has been on the forefront of our culture for some time um i'll ask you two questions one did you check this out back in march at south by southwest and um whether you did or you didn't what did you ultimately think of the art of self-defense
0: uh, can I put that back on you for a sec? Yeah, of course. Because because I did see this. I did, did not see this at South by. I did see this um, in an advanced screening before it hit theaters. But I have been wondering, so I'm going to use you as an opportunity for this right now. I know that you first saw the film at South by Southwest. And I honestly, for the life of me, cannot remember what the consensus was coming out of that. I, I vaguely remember that some people that I knew um, liked it. I thought felt like more people disliked it and then when it was leading up to its actual release it seemed like the conversation was overwhelmingly positive people were really excited to see this actually hit theaters so what was kind of before we talk about the movie itself i'm always interested in festival buzz what was sort of the festival buzz for the art of self-defense coming out of south by
1: i'd say you're mostly on the money there were definitely a few really really ecstatic responses coming out of the movie um But for the most part, I'd say it was pretty muted um, and mixed overall. I would include at the time, I would kind of include myself in that. Um, You know, I wrote I wrote the review for the playlist. Uh, I gave it a B minus letter grades, not everything, which I always, you know, stress hard on this podcast. But that was the letter grade I assigned it. But admittedly. I have not been able to stop thinking about this movie since it came out of South by. I I, I do think the response was a little bit muted. It did debut. I think I want to say on the third day, I want to say, um, and it was weird. It wasn't like a big, it was at the paramount, but it wasn't a evening premiere. It was like an afternoon premiere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was an afternoon (laughs) premiere. And, um, it certainly didn't seem difficult for people to get into the movie. Like I'll, I'll, I'll say that. So um, I feel like the, the anticipation for it seemed muted. The response seemed muted out of the movie, but the movie has garnered, I think pretty much overall positive reviews. So I I think you were ultimately on the money. It was pretty mixed coming out of the festival, but um, you know, chalk that up to maybe fatigue by the third day, chalk that up to, this movie is not totally easily categorizable, but um, it has garnered so a lot of positive reception in the last uh, couple. You know, in the last month that the movie started screening for critics. The yeah, other it's thing, always, I'm, it's,
0: oh. it's always interesting to me where um, you know, you, like when you when, having lived in Austin a few year, years now, having been to multiple Fantastic Fests and South bys in a row, you know, I know Riley Stearns is is local. He's was at one point in his career an Austinite or was, you know, deemed sort of an Austin filmmaker. So um it's interesting to me to see how these same artists kind of and, and not in a bad way, but artists that have been part of South by Southwest or been part of Fantastic Fest, kind of resurface at later festivals and how that affects or does not affect the audience's reception to them. Kind of those, you know, repeat offenders, not a good way to put it, but those people who are typically kind of tabbed for these festivals that are their festivals. It's interesting to me that that there wasn't kind of a bigger, um, more vociferous response for this movie considering Stearns is supposed to be kind of one of our own.
1: Yeah, that, that kind of, threw me for a loop I would say and and I'm not an Austinite but I visited the city a few times and and it it did seem strange that this movie that seemed very tailored I feel to the festival got not not just a immediate response but got this sort of you know middling slot um I want to say you know not not to get too much of a tangent I think the highwayman was the movie that like had the evening premiere that night um you know which i don't know maybe netflix paid for that premiere who knows what the case may be but it just seems strange to me that this movie that feels like was a perfect kind of south by movie got this like smaller um sort of premiere um but the other thing i I would also potentially swing towards in terms of people who just screened it in the last couple weeks to the last month um there's been this sentiment of fatigue this summer in terms of franchise fatigue, in terms of just spectacle fatigue of the movies coming out. So who, you know, what we can get into the movie proper for sure, but I'm wondering if this movie, which is certainly unique to say the least coming out in, in the middle of July and people are like, after they're watching, you know, stuff like dark Phoenix and men in black international and what have you, comes this movie then they're like oh god this is like a breath of fresh air oh this is something different um so i'm wondering if that also has a factor uh in this as well
0: yeah we're um i mean we're gonna get even more tangential here but i think i've heard a lot of people say that 2019 has been kind of a bad year for movies especially as compared to 2018 personally i feel like i've seen more films this year that i absolutely loved than i've seen maybe in the last two years combined i don't you know Movie taste is subjective. We all have different tastes, but I can certainly see the, the perspective that like in a year that is sort of shaping up, if you kind of had to give a consensus, is shaping up to be sort of a down year as an overall narrative in cinema. Um, something like this, again, not a knock on the movie, but something like this that that bucks the trend so hard that it does its own thing so much. Yeah, it definitely released at this time of year, kind of at the highlight of summer. Um, feels like a, a, nice, a, a, a nice bit of counter-programming which is probably exactly what um, Stearns and company had in mind for it.
1: For sure. And, and no need to apologize about the tangentialness. You know, this is what we do with the discourse. We discuss the discourse and the discourse is that this, you know, people overall have been pretty cool on this year. And um, I don't share the entirely the same sentiment, but like, I've certainly seen a lot of like fair share of what I'd consider good to great movies this year. I wouldn't call it a down year this summer. Maybe so I would call it you know, a down summer, but I wouldn't call it a down year overall. But um maybe we should just dive into it. Um so after 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 a lengthy tangent, I'll I'll pass the ball back to you. What did you ultimately think of The Art of Self-Defense?
0: I thought it was good. I thought it could have been great. I thought that it missed great, especially in the last little bit. Um you know, it's tough. There are some films where it's really tough to sort of separate the celebrity of the lead actor from the character that they're playing. Sometimes that doesn't work to a movie's advantage, and sometimes it does. And I think in this particular case, this is if if there is you know, end of year consideration for Jesse Eisenberg um, in the art of self-defense, it'll be absolutely justified because he is playing a character that not only works sort of in its own right, but he's also sort of engaging with a decade's worth of, you know, Hollywood casting him as this sort of beta male, you know, fast-talking, masculinity-in-question-type character um, dating all the way back to Adventureland, which is just sort of the niche that he seems to be occupying, um, and he has a very nervous energy that lends itself well to that. And the way that this movie sort of takes that stage presence that he has, that screen presence that he has, and sort of subtly perverts it and uses it to its own advantage, I think is is incredible, and it's one of the best syntheses of star and narrative that we'll see at the movies this year, I think the supporting cast in this is also great. It's great to see Alessandro Nivola, who you know has come a long way since his uh, you know summer horror movies of the early two thousands, playing this you know demonic, um, opaque sensei character. It's great to see Imogen Poots doing um, on screen as well, sort of playing this character that's really tough to pin down. Not you know the female character in a masculine driven movie but one that is refusing to sort of allow you to pin any easy narratives on her but i do have some pretty strong feelings about why this movie falters in the last bit i'll save those kind of for a minute when we're talking about it but it is it's it's a film of small stakes it's a it's a film of you know a lot of current trends and it's one of those things where i do kind of wonder we get it now we talk about it now we understand what it's doing Will this feel more or less relevant in 15, 20 years when we look back on it? I think that's a really interesting question. I hope it feels less relevant, but I don't think that's the case.
1: Yeah, I, I fear that it isn't the case. I hope that it feels less relevant. My my ultimate hope is that it feels less relevant, but it, you know, given the year that this movie has come out... That it it plays like a time capsule, essentially. That that we we watch it twenty years from now and go, oh yeah, that was uh, on the forefront of our culture. Look how far we've come. Uh, I uh, like you. I share that sentiment. That I fear that isn't the case. But uh, best case scenario, I hope that it is. Um, no, I I like like I mentioned at the top. Uh, probably probably didn't bury my lead a little bit. Um, I, I like the movie as well. I think it missed greatness. As well, I think we can definitely dive into a spoiler section at some point if you would like to, but um, I, I never really considered the sort of meta narrative in regards to Jesse Eisenberg's character. You know, chalk that up to um, festival fatigue, what have you, but um you know i was sort of enjoying the movie on its sort of base merits and the, this sort of like idea of the toxic masculinity and the hyper masculinity that the movie's dealing with but i i never really considered that sort of metatextual layer of it being a response to the type of characters that jesse eisenberg has played in the past and you know kind of letting his freak flag fly so to speak and um I think that's a great read. I didn't even really think about that. But I, I echo the same on the supporting cast. Imogen Poots, I think, is really, really coming to her own in, like, the last couple stuff, you know, films she's been in. Like, I loved her in Green Room, and, and I think she's absolutely great in this movie as, as the, you know, the the character who, the uh, Alessandro Navar- Navarro's character, um, Sensei, you know, says that, you know, sh- she's the best person in their class, but she won't be a black belt because she's a woman and so like that um you know her her ferocity for, jesus that's not a word her her ferociousness um i think i think is great and uh you you mentioned the early horror films of the 2000s uh in regards to alessandra nivola i I will never not think of him as Pollux Troy from Face Off. Like that yep. is just that is my point of reference for him as an actor. Even though he's done some great stuff, but he's definitely come a long way in in regards to like you know something like Junebug and Disobedience and and now this. Um, I think he's fantastic in the movie. Um, I, I I loved it. Uh, the movie is very very offbeat very deadpan um there, there's been a lot of notable filmmaker comparisons i feel thrown around um jody Hill's one of them yorgos lanthimos is another jared hess is another i've heard thrown around um and and certainly i think i see all those comparisons but i, I do feel that riley stearns is uh beating his own drum here to to an extent um and and i I enjoyed that this movie sort of flips the script by the end um, it, it, in terms that like, it, it, it seems pretty uh, quirky sort of festival comedy and, and then becomes something much more darker, sad and profound. But then just, just like you said, it just misses um, towards the end. And uh, like I said, maybe we could say that for a spoiler section, but I'm, I'm of the same mind. I, I liked this movie overall I, I might have been a little cooler on it at South by Southwest, but I certainly haven't stopped thinking about it, which um, I have to credit the movie in that regard.
0: Yeah. And I think the exact line um, that sensei says is something along the lines of um, I'm beginning to suspect that the fact that she's a woman will prevent her from ever being a man in relation to Anna's character. Right. And you know, I was talking to my editor about the film um, when I filed my review and he was like, yeah, there's just a real, you know, kind of David Mamet vibe to the dialogue in this. It's all, incredibly you know it hits the ear weird and it's you know kind of stilted and i think there is an element i mean i said stage presence earlier when i was talking about jesse eisenberg i think that just goes to show like how theatrical this whole thing feels it, it feels like a movie where every line of dialogue that you're listening to you can only really you can visualize it on the page and you can see what it looked like written down versus what it sounds like on the screen and it doesn't it it doesn't always work it always kind of calls attention to itself but it it also like when it does work it's like oh this is this this is weird this is this is creating kind of this its own sort of dark tone where everything is very matter of fact and for the first three acts of the movie it's it's not a comedy but it's funny uh i think that's an important distinction i don't think that a lot of the art of self-defense initially is a comedy but i think it is funny and i won't spoil why at the ending but i think kind of what uh, what prevents this movie from being great is the fact that it starts to give into its own humor later in the movie that final act it kind of lets itself in on the joke of kind of these weird characters and the way that they're talking in a way that it doesn't for the first half of the movie and i was very that is to me when the moment when the movie lost me and i was like oh this 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 isn't going to end as well as i'd wanted but just that idea that like you know a movie can can be Funny, but not funny. Not a comedy, but a little weird, and that's the vibe that it manages to hit so well by having characters deliver lines of dialogue that you're like, "Wait, how did that? Like, what was your first read of this? How did it sound when you were just reading it off the page? Did it sound like that? Because that's a weird line."
1: Oh, absolutely, and and that's I I think the the important sort of um you know di- distinction of this movie is that it it is very you know, it, it cause it, it's sad, like ultimately what it, what it is about, ultimately what it's getting at is deeply, deeply sad and, uh, you know, dark at its core, but, it, but it is quite funny, which, which is, you know, a great way to sort of inject a message to an audience is to make something, to make it humorous. I, I you know, that sticks in people's minds more. Um, and, and, you know, like you said, I, David Mamet quality is another thing that didn't cross my mind, but like I would agree same with Yorgos Lanthimos where the, you know, when it, when it reads, it's just, it's off beat, it's off kilter. Um, and like you said, some of those lines don't work, but when they do work, it, it's just like you, you wish every single line was that because it works so, so well when that happens. But, um, yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah, it, it might be hard to toe, Without diving into some spoilers here shortly, but like that ending, yeah, really, it doesn't it doesn't derail the movie entirely for me. I'm still ultimately positive on it, but it certainly lets the air out of the balloon.
0: Yeah, it and it's it's a tough thing to do. I mean, like a black comedy, a satire, um, it, it's a tough tone to maintain for an entire film, and I think that's something you know, mentioned crawl earlier. That's something that's refreshing about a movie like crawl is that it's, it plays it straight. I think a lot of films try, especially films that aren't working, you know, with a ton of money, if they are going to go to some of these dark places, they try and undercut it with comedy a little bit because it's sort of easier to say like, Oh, it's going to be funny and it's going to be scary or it's going to be heavy or it's going to be whatever. But invariably, unless you're one of the special few that can do it and do it right throughout, there is that moment where you sort of like, you're like, Oh, I, you know, it, the air has gone out of the balloon. Like this thing that you came out of the gate swinging with, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm really into this. You're like, oh, it's okay. No, we're still uh, we're still here? Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, yep, all right. We're going to, uh, and the movie's over. Okay, great. Like that right. is, I I find myself feeling that way about a lot of movies that are trying to live in sort of this dark comedy space. And that's what made the first half of this movie so special for me, is that Stearns knows enough about his characters. He knows that Eisenberg, he knows Nivol is going to, be able to deliver dialogue like this because his character is supposed to be off-putting and a little weird but he knows that eisenberg by his you know very screen presence by the nature of you seeing one of his movies and thinking of every other movie that he's been in you know you're able to buy into his dialogue and it gives this movie a unique rhythm it is weird while still holding together sort of this internal consistency it's funny without trying to be overtly funny until it isn't and I part of the reason why I do like I feel good about this movie I I like this movie quite a bit even though I don't think it holds together is it kind of comes by its ending a little honestly like it works until it chooses not to work as opposed to hitting the same note throughout and then you know letting the air run out of that It, it makes it decides to switch gears a little bit in the final act and it doesn't work for me it probably works really well for some other folks
1: Oh, certainly. And, and I think maybe it's, it's the difference between, um, you know, the read of it, you know, not being a comedy, but it being funny versus somebody thinking that it's a comedy. If you're thinking it's a comedy, then that is, you know, that it's kind of going to a place that not necessarily you expect, but a place that, uh, makes sense, I guess, tonally for what you're reading the movie as. But, um, if you're reading it the other way, uh, then it, it just feels very wrong and and somewhat betraying what had come before because what had come before feels very um, like it, 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 there there's a sort of uh, excitement of where is this going to go how far is this going to go um, and and then it goes to the place where you're like oh it, it, it would be too ridiculous for it to go there and then it and then it kind of goes there um, which I I uh, do you. Do you want to swing into a, a spoiler section here? What do you think?
0: Yeah, I'm down for that. If uh, if the fellow listeners that are discoursing with us don't mind.
1: Oh, they don't mind. I'll, I'll I as always I put a tag uh, t- with plenty of warning to know that we're gonna we're gonna swing into it. So let's go ahead and do it. Uh, spoilers for the art of self defense starting right now.
0: Oh, I've heard of this flick. There's a twist in it, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just just try and forget that,
1: and hopefully we'll still be able to enjoy it. I bet he's a woman, that bloke. No, <laughs> you think it's the future, but it's actually set in the past. It's not Earth. It's all a dream. Oh, could you not, could you, could you not try and guess what the twist is? Um, Yeah, I, I when, when there was talk about this becoming a fight to the death, I'm like, there's, there's, you know, there's no way. Like, that, that just, it would seem very, I don't know, very, not obvious isn't the right word, but it would just seem very, uh, just over the top it, it, in a movie that is certainly heightened, but grounded in what it was trying to say up until that point. and And the fact that that is ultimately what it comes down to in the movie felt a little, I don't know, to me it just felt a little betraying. I, I just was like, it it shouldn't go here it's not that type of comedy but then it becomes that type of comedy by the end
0: yeah i i actually the 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 ending in terms of the the final speech in front of the dojo with the you know the finger in the bullet hole and all that kind of stuff like that that goes a little broad comedy strokes for my taste that's a mm-hmm. little too for as much as eisenberg's character suffers throughout the movie for him to just sort of switch gears entirely um, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of moments in the movie where I'm like, you know, well, but you haven't really earned that he's able to make that leap. Like he's been really hesitant throughout most of the way, and now you're just gonna have him go out and do this stuff, and he's not really going to take time to kind of resolve that. Like there's probably something there that's intentional. There's probably a statement, but it, it's a hard thing to catch on a first watch. You know maybe this is a movie where if you watch it a second time, kind of knowing what's going to happen, you can appreciate the ways in which Stearns is sort of setting us up and subverting. Some of those big moments in the movie, those big moments of violence. But on a first watch, I'll say those kind of things didn't work for me. However, when Eisenberg pulls the gun out of his back pocket and shoots the sensei, if you're still listening, sorry, um, should have obeyed the spoiler warning. That to me felt like a, a real authentic moment, not only because the movie is foreshadowing the hell out of the gun um, throughout the entire thing. He has like four different phone calls and two different visits to the, you know, the, um, the I don't even know what you call him. It's probably good. I don't know what to call them, The gun store. Um, you know that moment is kind of foreshadowed throughout the rest of the film and what really sells that and kind of like the highlight of the film and what speaks a bit to this culture in general is that those two speeches he couldn't decide on one speech so he gives two speeches to sensei's dead body after he killed him and that as much as the 15 minutes that precede that and the 10 minutes that follow that don't quite work for me that moment of you know well you know I've killed you but I still have to talk you to death as well that was a perfect moment for this character
1: that's I, and that's fair I mean you know I would love to watch this a second time and, and um, I would love to watch the second time and and actually like live in that and dissect it and and see if that um, but to me that that moment just didn't I, I like you're right, it's it was foreshadowed for sure i I just you know it just felt I don't know it just felt it, it felt easy. Uh, And and maybe it is those two speeches that, that follow. It just, I don't know. It just felt like the sort of easy way out or, or maybe, maybe it's just, you know, kind of insinuating that, you know, sensei tells, you know, kind of says he's, he doesn't say directly that he's a coward, but he certainly certainly like breaks him down and beats him down throughout this entire movie uh you know not just physically but like emotionally and mentally and so i I guess maybe that would have driven him to do that, but it just uh, um you know it was like oh okay that's that's what happens, so I don't know that that moment just you know personally did work with for me, but um I'm certainly open to watching it again,
0: yeah, and I think that's something that is. You know that's something that's specific to movies like *The Art of Self Defense*, right? Is is these are movies that there's stuff going on in them um, that probably bears a a second viewing. Um, There are films that are kind of the line between satire and representation and subversion and all of that becomes so muddied that you're like, well, I have to go back to this. I have to see this a second time to really parse out whether what I didn't like about it I was was unintentional and therefore I was right in my assessment, or was intentional and there's something I missed. But this is, you know, even in a down year, if you would believe that it's a down year, I don't. You all are crazy. Even if it's a down (laughs) year, there are so many movies coming out every week that, like, it really, you have to like it in the first place to want to go out and rewatch The Art of Self-Defense. I mean, I liked it, and I don't think I'm going to rewatch it again in 2019. So it's it's a tricky thing. It's, th- this is something that happens sometimes with movies like this. Is you're like, well, the people that liked it watch it multiple times and double down on their reads, and the people that didn't like it aren't going to go back to it. And aren't you know maybe they would like it better. Maybe they will in five or ten years. But for now, we've got like fifteen movies released every single weekend. Not to mention what's coming out on video. So it really how, how well this movie does and, and how well it kind of remains part of the cultural conversation is going to be dependent, I think, upon people that liked it a lot better than you or I, and we both kind of liked it.
1: That is true. And in, I would agree. I don't know if I'm going to catch it uh, again in 2019, though I believe it's Bleecker Street, which usually means they end up streaming on Amazon Prime. So maybe, maybe I'll catch it again before the end of the year. But um, yeah, I mean, there there is just so many things coming out each week that it's like it, it, it'll be hard to. It, that's the thing, right? It's hard to it's almost harder to go back to watch a thing that you're like, I kind of liked this, or I just liked this. Like right. you, you either go back and you rewatch the thing that you loved or you, you rewatch something that you maybe hated, but like, but you hate it in a way that you're like, there's something here. Maybe right. I'm missing it. And you're going to go back and rewatch it. But like a movie, like the Art of self defense where you're like, it's good. And then, and then that's the it. That's the end of the right. discussion. And then it ends, um, which, you know, it sounds like it, at least, you know, I don't, give box office too much in the way of this but you know the movie expanded to 550 screens this last weekend it only made just over a million like a just under 2,000 per theater average so um didn't quite catch on i think the way that people uh thought but it it, it definitely feels like that type of you know comedy or you know com you know tragedy drama with comedic elements what what have you it just feels like that movie that maybe will eventually catch on um and then the people who love it will continuously beat the drum for the movie and then people will seek it out when it you know inevitably hits streaming
0: yeah and like you said if if this does end up on amazon prime i could see this having another kind of a resurgence of, of interest from people who you know these days what streaming platform a movie shows up on tends to kind of dictate whether or not it's going to do well but it's this is this is a movie that you know in contrast to the farewell probably should never have really gone outside of the like the the smaller indie release not because it's not a good movie but because it's a tricky movie and the word of mouth on tricky movies is never going to be you know is never going to push something like this over the hump so i hope people who want to see this movie get a chance to see it I know that this movie is not going to play anywhere near a lot of places that people who love these types of movies are going to want to go. So it's unfortunate that, you know, this isn't going to get a wider release for those that live in places that don't get 550 movie or 550 theater releases. But at the same time, like it's going to do it's it's going to be much better. The film will be much better served, I think, by hitting Amazon Prime and letting the audience come to it and kind of see how they feel.
1: Certainly. Well, I, I hope it does catch on because again, as we said, it is a good movie. Um, I was going to ask you any final thoughts. I, I do have one thing I did want to mention that I, I, I completely forgot about the movie is like, I do love, I love not just the aesthetic of the movie, but I love the sort of like the movie doesn't tell you exactly when it's set, but we can take the context clues in terms of like shooting with a VHS camera, four by three televisions, um, you know landlines that it's set somewhere in like the mid to late 90s um mm-hmm. and i like I, I like that i like the move you know the movies that kind of create this sort of like not other world but they don't have the need to tell you exactly when they're set and they just kind of live in that and then i like you know of course the idea of that oh we're not too you know this if this takes place in the mid to late 90s you know we're still de- dealing with the issues that this movie is bringing up you know it, it takes place in a time where and i mentioned this in my review that like a phrase like uh oh boys will be boys like might have been more common um and 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 that's essentially i feel like the, the, what this movie gets at is just like a, a, a group of boys under the uh assumption that they are men um and so i i i liked that about the movie uh, and I, I like that about usually films in general where they don't have to feel the need to tell you when it's set it just you, you understand based on the environment
0: yeah it is nice to see movies move from sort of vaguely 80s in their time period to vaguely 90s like look at us our movies are moving forward in time just alongside us
1: just just slightly ever so slightly moving away from the 80s nostalgia and now there's some 90s nostal- well it's not nostalgic i guess like I'll- i do get grumpy about the nostalgia but like this movie's not nostalgic but it, yeah i feel like it's very purposeful in its its uh, aim um but do you have any other final thoughts on the Art of self defense before we wrap this episode up
0: i do um it's it's sort of a, a personal thought to me so um i, I think the spoiler warning is probably still in effect but even if it isn't keep your ears open in case you care Um, you know, I got a dog for the first time about 11 months ago, and I was one of those people where I watched a movie and I didn't really, you know, like, characters could die and that'd be sad, animals could die, and that'd be sad, whatever, but, like, it's a little distant, and I think having a dog uh, probably rewired my brain to make all of the scenes where bad things happen to pets, um, hit me much harder. It's a weird thing, like, I, I was fine 12 months ago, and now if the dog dies, it's very, very upsetting. So I will say... It's important, and I respect, I'm anti-spoiler, but I respect people that need to know this going in. The dog does die. If you are somebody who is making your determination based on the art of self-defense, I'm here for self-care. The dog does die. The dog goes out of, I almost swore. I don't know if I can swear on this podcast. The, dog goes, the dog goes out of hero, so you don't need to feel bad about that. But the dog does die, so be aware. Trigger warning for that, because I was. it was a very upsetting scene for me um yeah dog does die
1: yes that uh, that's an important distinction to note up front um i'm not a dog owner but i am a, a overall pet animal lover and um that is something i i did not appreciate about the movie um we've talked a lot about that on recent episodes uh since we've rebranded to the discourse of uh, you know we we discussed child's play uh won't get into spoilers there but also doesn't end well for a pet um we talked about crawl which the opposite end of that one so um yeah that i, I agree I, I that was in this movie is like not to dwell on it too much but the, the sort of way that it is is just uh, just deeply deeply upsetting
0: but i will say that uh while it, while it is upsetting in that moment the the dogs overall come out on top
1: very true um, very, very true. <laughs> That's a good point. Um. I just, my memory just rejogged of the ending of the movie mm-hmm. that from, five months, from four there months ago. I'm like, yes, I get what you're getting at now. Yes. Overall they do. And yes, the spoiler warning is still in effect, but yes, they do come out on top overall, but that one specific scene. Yes. Deeply, deeply upsetting. So thank you for at least letting people know in advance that that is something that happens in the movie. Cause it is, um, you know, it's hard to watch um if you, especially if you're an animal lover um
0: toxic masculinity it, easy to watch the dog dies hard to watch fair, is it yes. fair it's a double standard i know i'm sorry i don't make the rules
1: it, you, nobody makes the rules it's okay like you feel what you feel and that's hundred percent okay um do you have any other thoughts or or should we just swing over and wrap this thing up
0: no let's wrap it man
1: all right let's do it Well, thank you for listening to another episode of The Discourse. And thank you, Matthew, for uh, coming on the episode. Like, I I really, really uh, appreciate it. I thought we had a very good discussion. Where can people find more of your work online?
0: Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Labsplice. That's L-A-B-S-P-L-I-C-E. And there I'm often talking about pieces that I've written for the Austin Chronicle or for Film School Rejects um i occasionally write for sites like SlashFilm or roger i have a couple of podcasts one is horror related and the other is board game related come find me come talk board games and horror films with me i will be your friend forever
1: absolutely please listeners check out all of the stuff the great stuff that matthew is doing in the meantime if you do enjoy this show you could subscribe to us on the playlist podcast network via your podcatcher of choice be it stitcher be it Uh, itunes be it spotify uh, you'll get this show as well as our other programs including adjust your tracking the fourth wall be real indie beat and the various episodes that pop up on our feed from time to time thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode